But Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer honor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So I want to preach to you for just a little bit, standing for the name of Jesus. Standing for the name of Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. There are, of course, a number of themes that you will see throughout the book of Acts. And and one of those themes is this idea that the people who are preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they get persecuted for the name of Jesus. They get persecuted by the Jews because the Jews have rejected Jesus. That they they don't want Jesus to be proclaimed. That the Jews, the religious leaders specifically, have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And so preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus is something that they're against. They can't allow that to happen. And so in the coming chapters of the book of Acts, you will see this intensify, this persecution for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. And, and then later in the book of Acts, the Romans get in on the action. That the Romans initially have the understanding or the thought process that, that Christianity, or as it's first called, people of the way, that they are just a sect of Judaism. That they are just really just a continuation of the Jewish faith and for whatever reason, maybe because of God's favor, that Rome, who is the world ruler, who has basically taken over all of the known world, specifically Israel, what we're talking about today, they have taken over Israel. And as in that process of taking over Israel, Rome allowed the Jews to continue to worship God like they saw fit. The Romans had a lot of gods. It's called a a pantheon of gods. It's back to the Greek pantheon of gods where there are hundreds of gods that they would worship. And they had different different powers and different strengths and would operate over different areas. It's what they thought. But, But even maybe more importantly for the Romans is that the emperor decided that he wanted to get in on the action and he declared himself to be God. And then, as declaring himself to be God, he required for all of the people in the Roman Empire to worship him as God. We'll see that play out a little bit later, but at this point in in the Acts of the Apostles, at this point in the history of the church, it's really only the persecution by the Jews who have rejected, as I said, they have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. (coughs) And so here in this this rejection of, of Jesus as the Messiah, we see this continuation of our text, really, of what has been going on before. But let me, let me set up another piece of the background, and, and that is this, is that there is a progressive revelation that God does of His name. A progressive or a, an unveiling of the name that is the name of salvation. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, it is... It is the name that God has chosen to use for himself in salvation. He has chosen to use that name to describe himself and to describe what he is doing in salvation. 
In fact, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves or God saves. And so Jesus is that salvation. He is that process of saving his uh, saving the people of Israel and ultimately saving the people of the world through the name of Jesus. Peter would write in or say in Acts chapter 4 that the name of Jesus that was responsible for healing the man and, and that was lame at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3, that there is salvation in no other name. That just like the name of Jesus healed this man, that it is in the name of Jesus that salvation comes. And aren't you thankful that you know the name of Jesus today? And if you know Jesus, would you give him a hand clap of praise right now? So after... The man is healed in Acts chapter 3, and after the revival of Acts chapter 4, where 5,000 men, not counting women and children, are saved, the church comes together, and the church, the people of the church, they sell all of their possessions, and they give it to the church, and they let the church uh, take care of them after they sold all their possessions. The Bible says that they had all things in common. Now understand that this is one of those things, I think I may have used this last week, explaining the difference between prescriptive and descriptive. Prescriptive is saying this is what we should do. Descriptive is saying this is what they did. And so here, when the Bible says that they sold all things that they had and, and gave it to the church, the proceeds to the church, it is a descriptive act. It is not that God is requiring or requesting us to sell everything we have and give it to the church. Now, if you feel like you want to do that, we'll use your money wisely for the glory of God. But it is a descriptive piece. And, and Acts chapter 5 begins with this story of Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you have heard of Ananias and Sapphira? A few of you. Ananias and Sapphira, they see what's going on in the church. They see that people are selling all of their goods and they're selling their possessions and they're selling their lands and they're giving it to the church. So they decide that they're going to sell some land that they have. The problem is that they decided that they would lie to God and to the church about what they're doing. So they sold it. The Bible doesn't tell us how much they sold it for, but... They decided to, when they sold it, they decided they were going to keep a portion of the money, which they could do without any problem. However, the problem was that they decided that they were going to lie about how much they were giving. And that the amount of money that they were giving after having kept some for themselves, they lied about it and said, this is what we sold the land for. Well, if you're familiar with the story, it's, not a, it's a one-time event in the scripture. It's not a, not a multi-time event. And I'm thankful for that. I think God is setting a precedence. But when Ananias comes in, he's the husband, he comes in and he says, hey, I've sold the, the land for this much money and we're giving it to the church. And the Lord spoke to Peter and let him know that Ananias was lying. And he said, Ananias, why have you said in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And God kills him right there. Now, aren't you thankful I didn't read this passage before the offering today? A little bit later, his wife Sapphira comes in with the same story. And Peter says, why have you decided to lie to the Holy Ghost? You're not just lying to men, but you're lying to God, trying to fool God. 
If I could just make an application, you can fool me and you can fool the other people in this room, but you can never fool God. And I think that's really what God is doing right here. He's saying, you can't fool me. God is in charge. He knows everything from the end to the beginning. And Peter looks at her and says, the same people who carried out your husband are going to carry you out as well. And she falls over dead and they carry her out. That's the beginning of Acts chapter 5 and Great awe, the Bible says, comes on all the people when they hear about this and they see that God is really serious about his kingdom and he's serious about his work and he's serious about relationship with him. And Many signs and wonders are done by the apostles and many signs and wonders are done in the city of Jerusalem. So much so, and this is another one-time event in Scripture, that people are trying to get to Peter who is who is, and for all extended purposes, he is the outward-facing head of the church. And it's so much so that they want to get to Peter so he can pray for them and see he, signs and wonders and miracles done and people be healed. And the Bible says that if they couldn't get to him, they would just line the streets, hoping that his shadow would fall on them as he passed by and that his shadow would heal them. Now understand, it's not really his shadow. And understand, it's not really Peter. It is the power of God, but it is God working through his people. It is God doing the miraculous and working through his people. And everywhere they go and whatever they do, they're doing it all in the name of Jesus. And because of that, just before our text, they are arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus. They're arrested for proclaiming the name of Jesus. They're arrested for being followers of Jesus and of telling others about Jesus and what he can do and wants to do in their life. And so from that background and the text I read, I want to bring to your attention four truths about standing for the name of Jesus. The first is this, is that we should stand by doing everything in the name of Jesus. We are told by Jesus himself that when you pray, you ask the Father in my name. That we pray in the name of Jesus. That, that I, I don't finish my prayer in the name of your Son. No, I, I put his name in, in the name of Jesus. Do this. In the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, for this. And in the name of Jesus, we want you to do this. I hear people pray all the time, and I, and I don't know that I'm going to say that it's wrong. I'm just going to say it doesn't sit well with me when they end their prayers in the name of your son. What's wrong with just saying the name of his son? What's wrong with just saying the name of Jesus? It's what he's asked. It's that we proclaim the name of Jesus. On March 8th, I'm going to be doing the invocation or the opening prayer at the Olathe Chamber annual meeting. It's the second time they've asked me to do it I, in the last three years. I guess I didn't do too bad the first time. And they sent out, the, when they sent the emails, like, you know, it's got to be non-offensive. I've got to pray a prayer that won't, I won't hurt anybody's feelings. And the first time I prayed, I, I, I was... I was asked to do the prayer. I sent them back an email. I was like, can I actually pray in the name of Jesus? I wanted to see what they... I said, oh, that's fine. But there are a lot of places right now, they don't want... You can pray to whatever God you want. They just don't want you to use the name of Jesus. 
Because when you use the name of Jesus, you're, you're distinguishing what God you're talking about. You're narrowing it down to who it is you're believing in. You're narrowing it down to who you're praying to. And anybody who doesn't want to follow Jesus, they don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. But I would tell you that we need to do everything in the name of Jesus, including prayer. Can I get an amen in the house today? We need to do everything in the name of Jesus. I, I reference Acts 4.12, healing is in the name of Jesus. When Peter said, it's because of the name of Jesus this man stands before you whole. Healing is done in the name of Jesus. And for people that are true Trinitarians or whatever, you never hear them pray for healing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because they know that there's power in the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus where the power is. We baptize in the name of Jesus. Not just because he said it, but because it is an identification with Jesus Christ. We are buried into Christ in baptism. It is to be done in the name of Jesus. Talking with a friend of mine, I've, I've told this story, it's been a long time. But he was talking to a man from, from Africa, the Sudan, I believe. And this man didn't get the concept of Jesus' name, baptism. He just... It was not outside of his tradition. He didn't, he didn't understand that that's how baptism should be done. And so my friend asked him, he said, you guys cast out demons in the Sudan? He's like, yeah, man, we cast out a lot of demons. And I think there are a lot of demons here in North America. They just hide a little different, a little better. But overseas in various countries, they, they will act out. And he said, man, we cast out a lot of demons and my friend said, well, do you cast those demons out in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And the guy was like, no, we don't do that. There's no authority in that. There's only authority and power in the name of Jesus. And when he said that, he realized what he had just said. And he's like, there's no authority and power in saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We need to baptize in the name of Jesus. But we cast out demons in the name of Jesus because everything should be done in his name. And include preaching in his name. Jesus said this in Luke 24. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. To all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Preaching should be done. Teaching should be done. Salvation comes in his name. Evangelism is to be done in his name. And Paul would write this. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why don't you give the name of Jesus and him a hand clap of praise right now. Everything should be done in the name of Jesus. It leads me to this, which is now really in our text. We are to stand when persecuted for the name of Jesus. Nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be in danger. But Acts 5, 40, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. And these men who had just been beaten, verse 41, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
They're preaching in the name of Jesus. And the Jews are going, no, we don't want you to do this. And they beat them because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. Question one that I have for you, what will you do if people resist you preaching in the name of Jesus? If they push back and say, we don't want to hear about the name of Jesus, we don't want you to talk about the name of Jesus, will you stand for the name of Jesus? We are in a world that is increasingly antagonistic toward the name of Jesus. Increasingly antagonistic to the people of the name of Jesus. We're living in a world, and you may not be aware of this. You may be familiar with the term ecumenical. Maybe not, but all that really means is all these people that call themselves Christian coming together and working together. In fact, the Catholic Church has, in their catechism, they have already, this is from 1994, said anyone who believes in the Creator as they would define it from the Bible, is saved. Specifically, they call out Muslims and say Muslims are saved because they believe in the God of Abraham. They reject Jesus as God. They don't want you to talk about Jesus, but they say Muslims believe in the God of Abraham. Now, what I would tell you is that the God they serve is not the God I serve. The way they describe the God they serve is not the one that I serve. He is not a God who does evangelism by the sword. He is a God who does it by love and say, I love you and I want you to come to me. So I'm not saying that they're serving the same God, but I'm just telling you that our world is pushing that idea and there is an interfaith movement where everybody's coming together except for people who really believe in the name of Jesus. What will you do when people push back on the name of Jesus that you're preaching or that you're teaching or that you're sharing? What have you done when people have pushed back and they don't want you to talk about Jesus? And I'm not here to to make anybody uncomfortable or afraid, but if you read the Bible... It's not going to get any better. We are not making very much headway. There are fewer people that serve Jesus in any denomination, percentage-wise, than we've ever seen here in the United States. That even if churches are growing, they're they're growing much less in the population. We're becoming further and getting further and further behind and becoming more and more of a minority religiously. It's not going to get better unless we really step forward and are willing to be persecuted and we take a stand for the name of Jesus Christ. One more scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Verse 33, whoever denies me 
before men. I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you don't stand for the name of Jesus, then Jesus won't stand for you. He is calling us to stand up for His name. But when speaking of the end times, the prophet Daniel said this at the end of verse 32 and the beginning of verse 33, but the people during the end times, but the people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. What God is calling us to, the the closer we get to the end, the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the more we have to stand forward and we will do great exploits if we're standing for the name of Jesus. We will do great exploits if we are preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Not because we're not going to be, it's not going to be an action movie. But we're going to see God do miracles, signs, and wonders when we stand for the name of Jesus in the end times. Anybody want to stand for the name of Jesus today? Anybody committed to being everything that God wants you to be today? And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Thirdly, we are to stand everywhere for the name of Jesus. Verse 42 says this, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. <coughs> and I apologize, my mute button does not seem to be working or I'm not able to work my mute button too good. <laughs> they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus every day in the temple and from house to house. That you and I are called to preach Jesus in public and we're called to preach Jesus in private. And the private piece of this is often the easiest to do because we can be selective in our audience. We can be selective in who we're talking to and what we're talking about. We don't have to worry about people that are anti-Jesus hearing what we're talking about. I was, at a, I was at a meeting on Tuesday, and as I was leaving that meeting, actually I text Daniel Hilliard, was telling him about the wonderful weather we were having, and he's like, I was like, how is the weather where you are? And he said, same, LOL. It was the same because he had already moved back to town. We're so glad the Hilliards are with us today. I want to give them a hand. So as I'm leaving this, this, this meeting, or I'm at this meeting, it was a, a lot of pastors, different churches, different denominations, and struck up a conversation with a man who pastors a, a church in Belton, and I, I had seen him once before, had never actually met him, and we got to talking. When I realized I'd seen him, I, was, I knew he looked familiar, and I finally figured out who he was and started talking to him and found out that he had a Pentecostal background. Now, it was a Trinitarian Pentecostal background. 
he, he grew up in, so not a oneness Pentecostal, not an apostolic background like we are. And so this, so we started having a conversation, and he decided to ask me a couple of pointed questions. And, and he set it up, he's like, and he said, all right, and he said, I've got to leave in 11 minutes, so just, so, you know, you don't think I'm running off if I don't like your answers. <laughs> So he started asking me some questions about salvation and when do we think people are saved and about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you're in those kind of situations, I mean, these are people that they know a lot about the Bible. They might not know what you know about certain aspects of the Bible and what we call our doctrinal or distinctives about what we believe and but in that moment, I had an opportunity to either soft sell what the Bible says or just tell him this is what we believe because this is what the Bible says. And as I launched into that, I said, I, I, said, I want to preface what I'm going to say with a little background because he was just a child when he was raised in this Pentecostal deal. And I said, I want you to know what they believe so you, you can understand why what we believe is different. And, and I just told him. And he, his response was, man, I really appreciate you being honest with me and telling me this. And I want to know more about this. And it may be that that God's plan and, and the vision that God has given us to see a hundred new churches, that it's not ne necessarily going to be a hundred new church plants. That when I left there, I was reminded once again that there are people who are hungry for more of God that they than they already have. And it could be that there's pastors out there that are hungry to understand true baptism in the Spirit and, and to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and that when they see it and when they get it, their whole congregations will come into the faith. Well, I took a stand for the name of Jesus. I knew what he believed, but I told him what I believed when I knew it was going to be different. And what I'm telling you is this, that God is calling us to stand for the name of Jesus everywhere and with everyone. And lastly, we must stand for the right Jesus. Stand for the right Jesus. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now to interpret that for you, the word Christ just means Messiah. Our English word Messiah is the Hebrew word Mashiach. You've got to say it like that with a little bit of uh, clearing your throat. Mashiach. Look at your neighbor. No, you might spit on them. Never mind, don't do that. But they were saying that the Messiah, the Savior, is Jesus. That Jesus Christ, He is the one. I mentioned last week there are a lot of people named Jesus. In our culture, in the Hispanic culture today, there are a lot of people named Jesus. And so what the Bible is distinguishing here is that they're saying the Messiah, it is Jesus. 
I told you this before, it's why Peter would say that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah from Nazareth, that's the Jesus we're talking about. That it is a specific Jesus, it's not just any Jesus. And you and I must stand for the right Jesus. And in our culture, you don't really hear people going talking around about Jesus unless they're talking about the Jesus of the Bible. But what I would tell you is this, is that there are a lot of people who claim to know Jesus who are claiming to be followers of Jesus, but they don't serve the right Jesus. They don't serve the Jesus that you and I know today. There is a prominent group of people who will come and knock on your door claiming to be the church of Jesus Christ. But the Jesus they serve isn't the God of the universe. The Jesus they serve is an angel or maybe even some of them, he was a man that lived a really good life and became a small God or God with a small G. There's another group of people that will come to your house and knock on your door. And the Jesus they serve was an angel, is the half-brother of Lucifer, the half-brother of Satan. One is a good brother and one's the bad brother. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus that I serve. It's not about just calling on any Jesus. It's about calling on the one true and living God, the one true Jesus who is the Messiah. That's who we need to stand for today. And what I would tell you is that who you believe Jesus is matters. That if you believe he's an angel, he's not going to save you. He's incapable of saving you. Because the sacrifice on the cross isn't sufficient if he's an angel. The sacrifice on the cross only is effective and only works if he is the God of the universe who is in human form. If he is the God who becomes man. So he can take your place and mine. An angel can't take your place. You didn't sin against an angel. You sinned against God. And it is only God who can forgive. It is the creator. He is the only one that can forgive. And he is the only one who can become a man and die in our place and take away our sin. An angel can't do that. A, an, a, a human that decided to live a really good life couldn't do that. And what Peter and the apostles were doing, they went everywhere teaching and preaching that the Messiah, he is Jesus. It's important for you and I to believe and to preach and to stand for the right Jesus. Not just any Jesus will do. Not just anybody can save you. Only the Jesus of the Bible. Let's stand together. I realize that this is a challenge when preaching through books of the Bible. Is sometimes you cover things that are not always optimal and that you don't always want to preach and I don't really want to preach about persecution. I don't want to preach about people that are having to take a stand against persecution. It's not exciting. 
or it's not something that most people want to do. They don't really just want to stand up. They don't want to be persecuted for the cause of Jesus Christ. Nobody does. I don't want to be persecuted. But it's in the Bible, and there is the reality that we may one day have to stand. So the question would be this Why would we want to stand for the name of Jesus? But when you understand that Jesus Christ is the only one who saves. And when you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you in salvation, and when, when you understand that He has offered you and I eternal life. When you understand that we were destined for hell, we were destined for an eternity apart from Jesus. And in that being apart from Jesus, God in the middle of that came down in the form of a little baby who grew and lived a perfect sinless life and went to the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. That's why we stand for Jesus. Because it's only in Him that we have eternal life. God is calling us to stand for Him today. And my call for you today is this. Stand for Jesus at all times. Do everything in the name of Jesus. Stand for Jesus in the midst of persecution and stand for Jesus everywhere. But most of all, make sure you're standing for the right Jesus today. If that's your desire, would you just close your eyes and would you lift your hands and would you begin to talk to the Lord and ask Him to be at work in your life? Jesus, we love You. We thank You, Lord, for who You are. Thank You for the power of Your presence, Lord. Thank You that You have saved us, that You have brought us into relationship with You. Lord, thank You that we know who You are, that we know that You are at work in us. We thank You, Lord, that there's nowhere else we can turn but to You. We thank You, Lord, that You are with us. And Lord, we commit to standing firm for You. We commit to being all that You have called us to be. We commit to standing, Lord, in faith. We commit to standing in public and in private. And we commit, Lord, to standing everywhere and at all times. And we commit, Lord, to not cowering, but we're going to tower for you. That we are going to be people of your name who do know you. And we're going to do great exploits because of the power of the Holy Ghost that is at work in us.